Good morning, everyone. Hi, Bill. Hi, Chris. Good to see you. Okay. <clears throat> Announcements. Next week, Memorial Weekend, fifth Sunday. So the kids will be playing, and we'll, the kids will be speaking. It's a great Sunday to be here. You don't have to listen to me. Uh, uh, June 11th and 12th, we have food bank. Uh, June 16th, the ladies are going to have um, their card-making party. That's a Wednesday evening here at the church at 6.30. There's a sign-up sheet at the back of the, the church by the door. There is no cost. Please show up and have a good time of fellowship. June 20th is Father's Day. Please remember that. The uh, Tuesday evening, men's and women's studies are on their hiatus for the summer. They will come back in the, in the fall. Friday was the, the last day of school for all of us with, yeah, I know. I, so uh, I, I think most of us are doing the same thing. I think that the berries are going to go to bananas. We went to bananas yesterday to, to celebrate the, the last day of school. But at the same time, Gav still has a track meet at, uh, next week. So... Not really over, I don't know. So speaking of that, though, um, we have a slideshow. And these are all of our, our graduates. Yeah. So you can see we have, uh, we have Jax and John. And, uh, and there's Christian. I know. And, uh, and Nick, and then, uh, and then Carly, um, all graduated this year. So let's give them a, a round of applause. My mom gave me a, a horrible piece of advice. I hope she is, she's wrong. She said that uh, when, uh, when the kids graduate, that it's not like you know, the relief that you're expecting it to be, that it's suddenly they're adults, and now suddenly all the other things happen is that you've lost control. That's the only thing that has, has changed. Your worry is still the same. Your burden is still the same. You just no longer have a say in what they think or what they do. <laughs> I wish us all good luck. <laughs> Now's a good time to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for getting to gather together. Father, please be with us. We have your, your book open in front of us. We are seeking fellowship with you. We are seeking to draw closer to you. We are seeking your face. We are seeking your wisdom. We are seeking your knowledge. Please grant us that that we request. Father, we, our hearts are burdened. We've got folks that are sick, folks that are mourning, folks that are hurting have all of the normal things of life, all the slings and arrows of the devil that has been hurled on us from the day we were born, and all the hurts that we have piled on others. Father, we lay those things at your feet, that today we could come before you, and that when we get up from our knees, Father, that we'd be closer to you that we could spend a little time in your lap, that we could spend a little time in your comfort, that your healing would come to those that are hurting. We ask all of that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are still in John chapter 3, and I 
have to apologize. I know we're still in the, the exact same chapter. We're actually going backwards instead of forwards. We're going back to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. I, I was, when I started off with this, I was actually going to just be taking some excerpts from the entire chapter, and it was going to be kind of a, a three-part message. And then I got into the one part, and that part ended up being a full outline. So hopefully, we'll just move on after this. I, I, I haven't decided yet if we've got to stay in this for another two messages or not, but there's just so much here in, in John. This is one of those places where it is so plain and simple. The language is so beautiful, but there is so much here that we could, we could spend a lot of time um, in, in, in this book. So we're in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. We're going to focus on, uh, actually, on verses 5 through uh, really like 12. But um, we'll read through this whole thing if you've got your Bibles open in front of you. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the stake in the wilderness, so the man, Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. We're going to continue on. And let's say our, our title for this message is Pentecost. We don't normally take time to, to celebrate Pentecost, but because of where we are in, in the passage of John, this is a great opportunity to, to have this conversation. So I even I put on a red shirt. There's a great meme. I have a, a friend of mine who's a, a pastor at an Episcopal church, and he sends me these memes. It was a great one. It was Captain Kirk with all of the red shirt guys. And the, and the caption was, why didn't you guys remind me to wear red today? <laughs> Instead of the usual, all of you are going to die. 
But we're going to continue on with this theme. It's, it's Pentecost. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And this is talking specifically about the birth of the church, the first Pentecost. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. You might want to underline that verse 13. It's important. So we're going to start off with our history lesson, as, as I like to do. So we're talking about if our Jewish cousins right now are celebrating Shabbat, or the Festival of Weeks. It's been seven weeks or 50 days since Passover. That's what Penta means. It means 50. Shabbat is actually a harvest festival. If we were to go back to the, when they're celebrating this, this is a harvest festival. It's a festival of, of first fruits. If we go to uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 14 through 19, it tells us of the, the annual festivals. It tells them three times that they're to have these, these harvest festivals, but this one is the first one of the year. It, it's hard for us to really grasp the the power behind this festival, because we don't live in this agrarian society. We can go right now to city market and pretty much get anything that we want from around the world. If you guys want to have Japanese tonight, you can get authentic Japanese cuisine. There's a really nice Japanese store on North Avenue. There, if you wanted to have something from, uh, from Korea or any of the, the places in the world, you could serve that food in your house tonight by just running to the store. It was not that way for, throughout time, really. So what has happened is they planted winter wheat. It came up. It has, this is the first harvest of the year. And we can imagine being in their shoes that you know, their climate is fairly mild, but still not so mild that, that it didn't get cold. But after that long and cold winter, after the sun has finally been shining, after they have had to store up from the last year and had to live off of those provisions for however many months that has been. Hopefully they had a good enough harvest. The last harvest in fall was good enough and hopefully the rodents didn't get to it. Hopefully they weren't stolen from it. Hopefully you know, their family was okay. They didn't get sick, that they made it through to this first harvest of the year when they get to finally replenish their cupboards. And so this is a great time of celebration when they would get these baskets of that first wheat and they would bring it into the temple and they would wear bright colors and they would blast the trumpets in this celebration. It would last for about 10 days because people had to come from all over. It's not required that you go to the temple for this, but if you were in the area, if you were within you know, 20 or 30 miles or so, it was tradition that you would, you would bring your, your offerings to the temple, a tenth of your grains. 
So you would load those into a, ba- a basket of bushel and you would bring them in. And then you would celebrate this day. You would celebrate Shabbat. And the great thing about it is, remember, this is a, this is a Sabbath day. So they wouldn't have cooked and, and killed meat. So they would have a lot of dairy products. Let me tell you what. Cheesecake? Linces? What can we have here? Right? Grains and dairies? I, I'm in. But so after they have struggled through the long winter and their supplies have held out and they've had this first harvest, they've all gathered together. I was watching a documentary uh, a couple weeks ago. One of the things that struck me, they talked about living through the, the Great Depression and how their family just, they never went shopping. They never went to the store. They never had money. They just lived off of what they had at their house, what they grew out of their gardens and then you know, so they, they still worked, but everything went to, you know, to pay for the house, and they didn't have new clothes. They just lived off of what they could off of the land. Canning parties and, and sharing seeds and recipes with their, with their neighbors. We can get a sense of the breadth of this. And for the disciples, it's a, it's a special time. I, and I have to think that it's, it's got to be kind of challenging and confusing. Because in some ways, they should be celebrating greatly. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. This is 10 days after the ascension. And he has told them, he said to them, hey, you've got to hang out here until the Holy Spirit comes on you and then go out. So they've received the Great Commission. We're going to go through all this, but they've received it. They're here celebrating this, waiting for this time. There's got to be this sense of, number one, relief for the spring They've got to be happy about seeing the ascension, but also they've got to be nervous about being sent out. And what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? No one's ever experienced this before. Nothing like this has ever happened. We kind of take it as old, old hat, but it's, it hasn't happened before. If we were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 15, it's where it talks about it, specifically verse 15, because this is what they would be saying at, at this festival. It says, Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised and on oath to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. Even in, uh, in pagan circles, we would have Easter. That's the, where that name comes from. It's from a pagan festival to celebrate the first harvest, to celebrate this time of coming out of winter. There's also, there's a dual festival here. It also celebrates the giving of the Torah, exact same time, exact same day. It, or not the, yeah, the Torah, but the, the, the Ten Commandments. So if you were to, to turn to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 14, it says, um, it says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eye have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. 
celebrating the festival of first fruits, celebrating this festival of weeks, celebrate the giving of the Ten Commandments. So what they would say when they would lay down their offerings, part of that, part of that commandment, and they, they still say this, it, I, I don't know what in Hebrew, but it says, all that the Lord says we will do. They would make that commitment every single year. They would stand up and they would say, just like we say the Pledge of Allegiance, say, all that the Lord says we will do. There's a lot of parallels. A lot of parallels. See, Passover celebrates the Jewish exiles being set free from captivity. They were released from the bondage in Egypt. Fifty days later, they were given the law. They were freed from their lives of slavery, then given the gift of God's word to guide them. Jesus was crucified on, on Passover on that Friday, right before sunset. Then he rose on Sunday. Forty days later, he ascended. Fifty days after he rose, the disciples have gathered and are celebrating this festival. If we were to go to, to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53, this is one of those places where Jesus gives this command for what they're supposed to do. It says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And why they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and re repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Then verse 49, it says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's why they're waiting. That's why they're in Jerusalem. It says, When he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. He said it had to be a, a hard time, a mix of emotions. Jesus is not dead. Instead, he has conquered sin and death. Jesus has stayed with them 40 days. They have eaten with him. They have touched his wounds. They have listened to his words. Jesus has commanded them to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. But then, they are to go out and spread the gospel. If you flip over to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, this is the Great Commission. Not only to them, but to us. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Was there fear? Was there uncertainty? Was there anticipation? What is going to happen? It's been three years. They have been up and down Israel and Judah. People have heard the gospel. Everyone 
who heard Jesus was astonished, even those who did not believe. People were healed. People were brought back from the dead. People had been fed. They'd been baptized. Now he is gone, and it's, it's up to them. It's up to them. They got to kick it off. And what they said that very, very morning at the temple was all that the Lord says we will do. That's the commitment they made. They are the first fruits of Jesus' ministry. In this room are gathered the people who are waiting on the Lord before going out in obedience. It's no wonder why Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church. This anointing by the Holy Spirit is God giving them their marching orders. They are sent out to fulfill the Great Commission. At the end of Acts chapter 2, it says the Lord added daily to their number. It's an important lesson for us that God is the one who adds daily to our number. We go out and do the work, but it's, it's his harvest. So go back to John chapter 3. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the wind. When I wrote this last night, I wrote down, it has been windy this last week or so. Not knowing that there were trees down and that people's homes were not the same that they were last night when they went to bed. So does anybody not understand how the wind works? Anyone? Anyone miss that the last few days, how the wind works? But branches are down, chairs blown over, doors blown open or shut. thing is, you cannot see the wind. However, you know when it is there and when it is not there. We have all been in places where the air is stale, where it's stagnant. Even if the room is the right temperature, right? If it doesn't have fresh air, air that is moving or has not been changed with with fresh air, it doesn't taste or smell or or feel right. We all know you walk into a room and and it's stale, stagnant, stuffy. It's like there's really nothing wrong with it. It's still breathable. But you know, you know that the air isn't fresh. A few years back, there was a, you guys really don't care, but I'm I'm a car guy. And uh, Lexus, they had, they come out with this new climate control system for their cars that uh, varied the direction of the the airflow and the speed to make it seem like it was more natural breeze. (laughs) Pretty cool engineering. Because here's the thing is most of us, all of us have a fan of some kind in our rooms. We live out here in in the desert. All of us do. We have a ceiling fan. We have some kind of a box fan. But even those, they're they're better, right? They're better than the stagnant air in your room. But still, those are pretty harsh when they blow on you. It's kind of nice when it oscillates, when it it moves around. But that mechanical, that that force, that man-made air is not the same. It's not the same as when you're actually outside and you feel the breeze or you crack the window open and you get actual fresh air. The point is that you cannot see the wind, but you know that it is real. You know it exists. You feel it. You see the effect it has on the world around you, and you know when it is not there. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the wind. Now, Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night, after sundown, after Jesus cleared the temple courts, and he was teaching there. Nicodemus waits until the Sabbath is over and goes to find Jesus. And make no mistake, this is prayer. We talk about Jesus receiving prayer. This is prayer. Nicodemus is praying to God for answers, and God is answering him. Nicodemus has spent his entire career in the church. 
He is not only a leader and a teacher. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. That brings us to our first point. We talk about this quite a bit, but it is possible. It is entirely possible to know who God is, to study the scriptures, to live your life in the Bible, to spend your entire career in church, and to not be born again, to not be saved. The thing is that this is not optional. We talked about a lot of things last week. Talked about how free we are in our faith. Number of things, the very limited number of things that we are commanded to do. That's why I wanted to spend the time on this today. Because this is not optional. Being born again, having the Holy Spirit, this is not one of those things that, that we can just choose or not choose. If you are not born again, Jesus says, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. We must be touched by the Holy Spirit. We must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit to be saved. That's why it's so important. Jesus says, this will exclude you from the kingdom if you are not born again, born of the Spirit. You are not saved and will not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's important to note, Jesus is not talking about baptism when he, he talks about water and spirit. We, we mentioned this, but if you go to Hebrews 11, you can count how many people there in the hall of faith have been baptized. It's really easy. Zero. None of them were baptized. Jesus is not talking about baptism here when he talks about water and spirit. So what is he talking about when he says, you must be born of water and spirit? Wonderful thing is, we can go back to our history section about Pentecost. First, the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. Then they were given the Ten Commandments. Jesus is our atonement, the once and for all sacrifice, the Lamb whose blood covered our sins and delivered us from sin and death. Just like the spotless lambs whose blood covered the doorposts of the Israelites, so they were delivered from captivity. Then, 50 days later, they received the Ten Commandments. Their sin was laid before them so that they would repent, give up their idols, their lust, their lying, their greed, and turn to God. See, Jesus' response is also striking because he tells Nicodemus, you should already know this. He should already know he needs to be born again. It should have been obvious to him based on what he knew in Scripture. If we turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 36, this is going to sound strikingly familiar. It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws." Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns, and the ruins will be rebuilt. 
the desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. This is a salvation issue. There's a lot of places where the rubber doesn't meet the road. This is one where the rubber meets the road. So do we have to celebrate Pentecost? No. Should we celebrate Pentecost? It's the birthday of the church. It's one of those things where Jesus doesn't say you have to. Communion? Jesus says do it. Baptism? Jesus said do it. Right there in the Great Commission. Jesus supervised the disciples' baptizing. He was baptized. Love God. Love each other. Those are commands. Those are not optional. Go to the rest of the Ten Commandments. They're commandments. They are not optional. Except for, it's kind of weird. We can have an argument over the Sabbath. If we go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 17, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to strip away all of the human tradition and get right down to Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Can we celebrate Pentecost? Sure. Can we not celebrate Pentecost? Sure. Can we Sabbath on Saturday? Sure. Can we Sabbath on Sunday? Sure. The question is, what is in our hearts? Are we genuinely offering up worship to God? Are we taking time to rest before going back to work? Or is it a good chance to catch up on some yard work? Now we go on to verse chapter 6. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 say, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, 
we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us for us to do. Our parallel will refresh on that. It says, all of the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. All of them. They had no choice. They were born into it. And it's 430 years from the time Joseph goes down and, until, uh, until they come out of captivity. 430 years. Even the great-grandkids of those folks are around. 430 years. Is it fair? Is it fair they were born into captivity? It's what we say when we talk about, well, why was I born into sin? Why was I born like this? Why do you say that I'm full of sin? That's not fair. It's not fair for you to say that about me. See, they weren't supposed to be enslaved. Joseph brought his people to Egypt to escape a famine, and the people blessed the Egyptians with good management of their crops and animals. It was a win-win. Then a pharaoh came who says, knew not Joseph, and then they enslaved the people of Israel. So it's, it's not their fault they're in captivity, but the reality is they are slaves. Like it or not, they are slaves. You can like it or not. You were born sinful. You were born that way. You were born into it. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. All of us also lived among you. This is from Ephesians 2.3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is what Jesus was talking about. We are born of the flesh. Flesh begets flesh. We can be mad about it if you want to. You can be resentful about it if you want to. But quite frankly, when you do that, you're just judging God. You're trying to put yourself in God's place. You want to be God. You think you can do it better than him. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That's the reality. Back to the Passover. God is going to send his angel. He's going to. He is going to kill the firstborn of Egypt. That's going to happen. He's going to free the Israelites. Those are facts. There's nothing the average Israelite can do about it. They can't. Nothing is going to change God's plan in that. In the same way, God sent his son Jesus to the earth. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus is the all-sufficient sacrifice, the once and for all payment for sin. That's right in verse 8. It says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. 
so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You have no say in the works of God. You have no say in God's plan. You have no say in who is saved and who is not. You have no power over this situation. It doesn't stop us from wanting to judge God, judge God's plan, judge the way God works. Why? Because he doesn't do it the way that we would do it. He doesn't do it the way that we think it should be done. Because we think we know better than our Creator how to save us from ourselves. Thing is that luckily, unless you're, uh, you know, in Arizona or Georgia or Wisconsin, dead people don't get to vote. God did not ask you, He didn't ask your opinion. The wind is free. The person of the Holy Spirit is God, is sovereign, and the word and works of the Spirit are not up for debate. Jesus says we cannot see the Holy Spirit, but we can see and feel the effects of the Holy Spirit. We can feel the bland, stale, stagnant air when the Spirit is absent. We can see the things moved and changed by the Spirit. We can feel the Spirit moving in our lives, on our skin. We can breathe deep the fresh air of the Spirit as He sweeps away the old and brings in the new. See, the Israelites had no control over what God was going to do. They had no control over their situation in Egypt. Were they slaves? Yes. Was the angel going to come? Yes. So what could they do? They could believe what Moses told them. They could believe the signs that they saw. They saw nine plagues come to Egypt. They could get ready to leave and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Or don't. That's what they had power to do. Those who chose, 50 days later, they received the law. And what they said that very morning at the temple, all that the Lord says, we will do. So for us, we were born into sin and death. Yes, we were. We were born into sin and death. Did Jesus come? Yes. So what can we do? We can believe. I've told you, countless people have told you. You can believe the signs of God working in Fruta. You can step out in faith, get baptized, and repent of your sins. You can say the exact same thing. Our statement is the same. All that the Lord says, we will do. The Holy Spirit is God. He is sovereign and will do as he pleases. And the good news is that God always does the best thing, the perfect thing. If you wanted to pull this out and go to your theology class, what we're talking about here is called irresistible grace. That's the terminology for it. The wind blows. We don't know where it came from or where it is going, but we feel it. Irresistible grace. That's not to say that we can't reject God. We can Go to Acts chapter 7, verses 48 through 53. It's one of my favorite chapters in Acts. I know, they're all my favorites. But this is uh, Stephen before the, the Sanhedrin. He does this wonderful thing where he walks them through the gospel from, from Genesis. And he's just about to tell them about Jesus going to the cross and their mistake there. Because he tells them, it's like, all right, well, you got it wrong the first time, you'll get it right the second time. And he walks them through each of these times. Well, they got it wrong the first time, they'll get it right the, the second time. And then he's about to speak and say, hey, so when you crucified Jesus, you got it wrong the first time, but don't worry, you'll get it right the second time. But they take him out and they kill him. But this is Acts chapter 7, verses 48 through 53. It says, However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, 
Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? It says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. There it is. You can resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. So what does irresistible grace mean? It means that when God chooses, the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, blows, shifts, directs us to Jesus. Suddenly, our resistance is broken. Our eyes are opened. Our ears are opened. Suddenly, what was foolishness becomes certainty. And all of the things we were so certain of before, they become meaningless. We've got a few examples of this. John chapter 6, verses 43 through 51. It says, Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who was from God, only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the, uh, for the life of the world. Romans chapter 9. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Paul quotes Exodus chapter 33, verse 19 there. Ephesians 2, chapter, verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Underline that. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What do you think? What's the reaction? Here these guys are. They, they sit down to have Pentecost feast. They've gone to the temple. They've said, all that the Lord asks, I will do. That's what they've commanded, committed to do. They sit down to eat, and suddenly the Holy Spirit appears before them. Tongues of fire over their heads. Suddenly, they can all understand each other. They can all speak each other's languages, and this crowd gathers around because they can hear these people proclaiming God in their own languages. They can understand this. What's the reaction? Well, go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. It, it tells us it's the parable of the sower. It says, A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and, the withered because, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then he comes on to, uh, to explain it in verses 18. It says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed grown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's a big ask, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to surrender. It's hard to put yourself second, in second place in your own life. To put God first in everything. There's a lot of people who can't do it. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. What's his reaction? It's like, how can this be? How can this be? However, in the end, it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who will carry the body of Christ from Golgotha. They wrap him in the burial clothes. And Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices, a king's fortune. Going back to Acts chapter 2. This crowd that gathers around. It's amazing the varied reactions. Some people, and remember, all of them saw the same thing. They all saw the Holy Spirit move. They all heard what was happening there. All of them did. If you go to the very end, it says, God added to their number daily. So a couple thousand people this day came to faith. But go to to 2.13. Some of them, however, made fun and said, they have had too much wine. It goes right back to the beginning. It is entirely possible to feel the wind, to see it, to see its works, to hear the words, and to be unchanged. It's terrifying, isn't it? In the face of something that, that it's a kingdom issue. The others, the vast majority of them, had this reaction. Go to 36 through 41. It says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I pray this is your reaction to the work of the Holy Spirit. You are cut to the heart. You are driven to your knees. You ask, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
So this is our prayer. I pray that the Holy Spirit crashes into you, that he blows through you like a hurricane. I pray that you are overcome by the Spirit, that your eyes and your ears are open, and that you see Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for John. Thank you for this wonderful place where we live. There's so many of our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have places like this, that don't get to gather like this. They're huddled in dark rooms, passing single pages of your word and desperately memorizing them so they don't get caught by the authorities. There's violence, violence in the Holy Land, violence in, in Europe, violence on, in our streets. There's Jewish brothers and sisters that have been attacked here on our own soil. Father, we lift this time up to you. We wish to make the world a better place, and we know that you are what makes the world a better place. So we are seeking ways to share you with others, to do all that you ask of us to do. Please have a, give us a spirit of obedience. Please give us the resources that we need to be obedient. Please give us the wisdom to know what actions are, are good and right in your, in your opinion. Please, Lord, speak loudly to us. Shine brightly for us that we could stay on your path. Please, Father, we give us love and forgiveness in our hearts and grace for each other, that as we work together to further your kingdom, that we would not be torn apart by divisions. Father, please help us to cast off the things of this world, the things that we cling so desperately to that really don't matter. Please help us to overcome obstacles that we put in our own way. Please give us eyes for our brothers and sisters for their suffering. And please give us hearts to be moved to help them. Father, I know that if people were to see your son, were to know your son, that their lives would be better. We are desperate to make that happen for the people in our valley and around the world. Please help us. Amen.